we're getting down to the end of the NFL season. Just one more weekend, and it's over. We've had the first round of the NCAA football championship. Alabama defeated Cincinnati. Georgia defeated Michigan. And so that game is coming up. College basketball is in full swing, except where there's games that are being postponed because of COVID. High school sports are being played almost daily uh, between the boys and girls. And sports can bring us together, or it can divide us. Where there's team rivalries, school rivalries, uh, playing a rival brings the team together uh, more than anything else, I think. But it can also divide fans, divide schools, uh, divide families. Uh, if you're talking about where we live here, there's Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. And a lot of people have gone to one or the other that live in this area. And, and there's some couples that one went to one and one went to the other. And so it can be maybe a little... Um, tense, I guess, I don't know. But playing in organized sports can be a good or a bad experience. Our boys played Little League when they were little, and where they played at first, it was just, it was a good time. You know, when they get ready to go out for the field for the first time, and the coach would say, you know, what are we here for? And the kids would say, to have fun. And that's what it was. Um, we moved and the boys played uh, Little League and our oldest son who had caught for two years uh, never got an opportunity to even try to be the catcher because the coach had that all picked out. Um, it was just a bad experience for our boys all the way around and they never played again. Uh, anything organized can be a good or bad experience, even in religion. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are the, the, the coach, the owner, the general manager of your team, and that's us. So, Father, as we look at your word, Lord, let us see how it is that, that we need to be working for you and doing our best, giving our best all the time for you in everything that we do. So, Lord, uh, let us see what you've got for us in this message. message in Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at what real teamwork should look like. Surprising uh, to some of you anyways, the Bible does talk about this. I mean, Every team plans on going to the Super Bowl or the World Series or the championship of whatever kind. You know, nobody chants, we're number two, we're number two. You know, but being number one only comes from a lot of teamwork, from the, the head coach and the staff to uh, each one of the players. Uh, you know, if we're talking football, you know, the offense and the defense and the special teams, you know, they all need to work together and know what's happening. Uh, so, you know, maybe you're the star quarterback or the the big receiver or running back on, on your team. But you don't get there without the hard work of the rest of the team. Because if you're you know, the quarterback 
and the offensive line decides not to block, you're in trouble. Or if the receivers don't run their routes, you're in trouble. If you're the pitcher, you're going for a no-hitter, and the other guys on the field, well, you know, if this one guy would have run a little harder, he would have got there, but, you know, he didn't feel like running that hard today. And so there goes your no-hitter. So no matter how good you are as an individual player, you're only as good as the team helps you to be. So every team has a name. So we need to get a name for our team. Now, in football, there's a lot of animals. Uh, Bears, Rams, Eagles, Falcons. Uh, Major League Baseball, there's the Cardinals, Blue Jays, Orioles. Uh, NBA, there's the Timberwolves and the Hornets and the Bucks and the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. I mean, that's a name that really strikes fear into you. Oh, no, we have to play the Pelicans. But in college, you get some even crazier names. There's the, the Campbell Fighting Camels, uh, the Minnesota Golden Gophers, the University of um, Missouri at Kansas City. They're the Kangaroos. Uh, Youngstown are the Penguins. Charleston is the Fighting Squirrels. Uh, you know, some of those names, you know, don't put a lot of fear in you uh, when you think about that. Uh, now, some Christian schools, they go with the Lions, okay, the Lion of Judah. You know, and so they go with the Lions, you know, which is understandable. Actually, the Bible gives our team a name, okay? If we were looking for a name, we'd, we already got one. Okay, in Acts 11, verses 25 and 26, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Ah, so we'd be known as the Christians. What does that team term mean, even? Well, simply it means a follower of Christ. The dictionary defines Christian like this, relating to or professing Christianity or its teachings, or a person who has received Christian baptism or is a believer in Christianity. Um, you don't have to be baptized to be a Christian, by the way. So it sounds pretty good. Okay, so we've got our name now. We're, we're going to be the Christians. So now that we know what team we're on, let's take a look at what the scripture says about teamwork. In Matthew 20, uh, the Zebedee's boys, James and John, their mom had asked Jesus this in verse 21. She says, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. You know, nothing like having mommy go to the coach and ask that you get to be the pitcher or that you get to get up to bat more often, right? Well, Jesus responded in verse 22. You don't know what you're asking. He wasn't putting down James and John, just letting her know this from verse 23. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So in other words, I'm just a coach. Okay, you need to go talk to the owner about that. He's the one that's made that decision, not me. Well, 
The other ten disciples, they got wind of this conversation, and they were not happy. I don't blame them. I wouldn't be either. John already refers to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved, so I thought he was special compared to the rest. Uh, that He made it sound like he didn't, Jesus didn't love the other eleven, he just loved him. Well, Jesus responds this way. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wait a minute, Jesus. You're saying if I want to be the star player, I must become a bench warmer? That I must just sit out game after game? His response would be, yeah, that's it. That's exactly right. You're getting it. Now you need to understand it. Nobody wants to be a, a bench warmer. I understand this, you know, firsthand. I didn't go out for football when I was a freshman. I did when I was a sophomore. And the coach just automatically made me the second string center. And I think I got in maybe two or three plays the whole year, and that was it. So when I was a junior, I didn't go out because the first string center, he was still there. So I knew what was going to happen, and so I didn't even bother to go out. And then I went out as a senior, and I started at center. Uh, so being a bench warmer wasn't much fun. But a team player does what's best for the team. They don't care about being the MVP, being the batting champ, being the high scorer, being the best defender. You know. That, I mean, sure, that would be nice, but they want the Super Bowl. They want the Stanley Cup. They want the World Series ring. They want the championship. Even on those teams that win the big championship, well, they're still bench warmers, but they're still part of that championship team. But they're part of the glory and part of the victory, all because of teamwork. They may never have played, but they were ready, they were willing, they were able to do their best for the team. Because, you know, you may be that quarterback holding the clipboard all season long, and then all of a sudden the quarterback gets hurt, and you got to go in, you got to be ready. Okay, you've got to know the plays. you got to be able to go in and do what's expected of you. Well, as a teammate, you may have to do things that you don't want to do. Okay, you may have to pick up the cones, gather up the balls, get the water. You know, when I played back in the mid to late 60s, uh, we had one bucket and one ladle, and that was the water. Now they have, you know, little Gatorade bottles and somebody squirts water or Gatorade or whatever into your mouth. Uh, you may end up probably doing a lot more running that you want than you would like to do. But as a teammate of Jesus, you may very well and very often 
be called on to do things that you're not crazy about. You know, you, you have to go out and meet the, the lepers and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the Samaritans. So let's take a look at those in our day. Start with the Samaritans. Who are your Samaritans? Someone that speaks a different language? Someone that their skin color is different than yours? Somebody that comes from a totally different culture than you? Somebody that just acts totally different than you? Is your Samaritan somebody that, you know, maybe doesn't have much money at all? Or maybe they've got a whole lot of money? Maybe your Samaritan, you know, is very highly educated or would struggle to get their GED. Maybe your Samaritan, you know, just is very uncouth, has no manners whatsoever, and is not understanding. Well, who are your lepers? There's no lepers today, right? Well, what about that boy in the wheelchair? Or that man that just has trouble talking or being understood, not because of a language barrier, but maybe because of a stroke or, you know, something that happened to him. Or that woman that just kind of shuffles along. Or now with COVID and everything, uh, that man with a cough. You know, I, I remember being in the grocery store, was not too much into this COVID thing. And I was at the, the deli counter. I was waiting to get waited on. And I was standing back. And this one man, I didn't have a mask on, but this man had a mask and and I think he had gloves on and everything. And he was standing there and he kept kind of turning and looking at me. And, you know, I thought if I coughed, he'd probably just run out of the store. Uh, but your tax collectors. Now, who are your tax collectors? Well, tax collectors have a much better reputation today than they did in the time of Jesus. Okay, but some of our tax collectors can be maybe an unfair boss or an uncaring principal or professor or teacher. And, you know, they just really don't seem to understand you or really care about you. And what about our prostitutes? Prostitutes? Yeah, that woman that dresses that way. You know who she is. That young man with many, many tattoos and piercings all over himself that you can see that are exposed, not wanting to know what's underneath the clothes. All of these, in most cases, are people that are different than ourselves. Well, your team needs to tend to them as well as those that are just like you. So how do we go about doing this? Anyone that plays a sport has to get himself or herself ready. You don't just show up on the court or the field or on the ice and just start playing at a high level. Now, in the NFL, it used to be that training camp was a time to get ready, to get in shape. Now, you'd better be ready before you get there if you want to keep your job because there's 
hundreds of others that are looking for whatever position it is that you play. So Paul tells us in Philippians 3.14 this. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You win no prizes if you're not ready to compete, is what Paulus is saying. You know, you've you got to be ready. You've got to press on towards that goal, whatever it may be. And then he gives us some more good advice in 1 Corinthians 9, when he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, Paul's talking to us here about as individuals. But on a team, we all train together. On a team, we're all looking for the victories. You know, on a team, we're all, you know, going after that prize, whatever it may be. Well, I think one of the most misunderstood chapters of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter, which it is, and it's probably read at most, if not all, weddings, it seems like. But this was not written to a couple about to get married or something to put on a Valentine's Day card. This was written to a church that was struggling. And one thing that they were struggling with was teamwork. On their team, there was the haves and the have-nots. As far as social economics was true, it's still kind of that way today. But in the Corinthian church, there was a large divide between these two, much like we read about in the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests, and they pretty much made up one class, and the rest were just a bunch of peons that supported them. You know, this is kind of like what I had just read from Matthew 20, where Jesus said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Well, it just wasn't the Gentiles that did that. It was the upper class, so-called, in the Jewish line. So Paul saw this happening in the church at Corinth, and he wanted to put a stop to it. In chapter 13, the first three verses, he emphasizes the importance of love. And he goes on to further describe this kind of love. He says it's patient, it's kind, It doesn't envy or boast. Love isn't proud. It's not self-seeking. Love isn't easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of the wrongs that others do. It's against evil. And it always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. 
and it always perseveres. This is what has to happen on a team. Okay, in football, the five interior linemen, two guards, two tackles in the center, each one knows what the other is going to do in a play. That's why it makes a real difference if one gets injured and somebody else has to play. It's not that they're not a good player, but that they haven't been playing with this part of the team. And so that player may know just what he needs to do, but he may not be sure what everybody else is going to be doing. Uh, so you, you lose that continuity. And it makes a, a lot of difference for a lot of people. I just spoke about the Gentiles, and that's you and me, the non-Jews. Sometimes, hopefully often, there will be new teammates joining the team. And it's up to us, the established team, to integrate them onto the team, helping them to find their gifts, to see where they can best be used on the team. And this is really important. Now listen, they need the team members that are already there need to selflessly be willing to give up their position on the team if need be. Okay, somebody comes in that is just a, a really good teacher and you've been teaching a, a Bible study or whatever and this person comes in and you know, they really know the Bible and they're really a good teacher, have, you know, very good at getting a point across to people. And, you know, maybe you see that and rather than getting all upset, just be ready to step down and say, hey, you know, you can do this better than I can, so I'm going to back off so you can take over. Okay, remembering that someone gave up their position for you as well at some point. You know, being on a team is sometimes difficult. You give of yourself, your body, your money, your time. And before you join a team, you need to consider all of these things, making sure that you're not committing to something that you can't follow through with. In Luke 9, Jesus encountered a man that wanted to join the team. Okay, this is nine, starting in verse 57. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Now, some of that sounds rather harsh. I mean, really harsh. You know, let the dead bear their own dead. Or, you know, if you need to say goodbye to your family, you're not coming with me. Or if you, if you come with me, there's no telling where you may have to stay, what you may have to put up with, you know, going without meals, whatever it might be. You need to be ready for that. Well, I believe Jesus said these things to these men to find out their level of commitment. 
were they ready to give up what was important to them so that they could be on the team? 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us what teammates need to do in verse 11. He says, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. The teams that win the championships do that. After a score, you know, they're there, they're congratulating that person. After a good play, you know, they're there lifting each other up. When someone gets injured, you know, they're all concerned and, you know, wanting to know what the injury is and if the person can continue to play. They're there for that person or persons. So the Christian team needs to operate the same way. I remember going to a classmate's church one Sunday with my family, uh, a man that I went to seminary with. And there was a young woman that made a commitment to Christ. And everyone, everyone in the church went up and welcomed her. Just, you know, you got in line and you went up and, you know, glad that she, you know, had come to know the Lord and welcomed her onto the team. Uh, You know, everybody there. And it was kind of an awkward situation for my family. The only one I knew there was the pastor, and it was a black church, and we were the only white people there. And I think my kids kind of wondered, you know, should they go up or whatever? I mean, it's not like, you know, welcoming them into the family and we're never going to be here again. But, you know, it was just a a moving thing for me to, to see that happen. Well, in John 13, 34 and 35, this is just before Jesus predicted Peter's denial. He said this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Players on a team are all different people. Okay, some come from stable families. Some come from a, a one-parent family uh, where maybe the, the father was never known. Uh, maybe parents, grandparents are in and out of jail, out of prison. And there's just, you know, been a lot of strife in their life. Some on the team have gone to big prestigious schools. Some have gone to you know, maybe a junior college for a couple of years and then, you know, transferred to a, a small uh, Division two or three school. Some are believers and some aren't. Some on the team are uh, some that are part of another religion. You know, and some are stars that are guaranteed their positions. And others are just working as hard as they can to to win or to keep a spot on the team. Our team's a lot different than that, except for the religious part. Uh, Because once we're on the team, we know that we're never going to get kicked off. But, you know, we still deal with people that, you know, the the social economic thing is there. you know, you go to a church and not everybody's going to be like you or look like you. Our position may change, but we'll always have a spot on the team. Let me give you one last scripture. Romans 8, 
verses 16 and 17. Paul says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, that's what the team is about. Okay, once we're on the team, you know, we're, we're in. And God is there as the owner, more or less. Jesus, the coach, and the Holy Spirit, the manager, however you want to look at it. Uh, but they're all equal. But our team is different than any other team. In uh, our team, you know, sometimes there's going to be struggles, there's going to be problems. But if we do it the way God expects us to, you know, we're going to continue to be there for one another. Let me share the words from an old Gaither song. It says, you'll notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we are family and these folks are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share their tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king, no longer an outcast, a new song I sing, from rags into riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here. Praise God, I belong. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joined heirs with Jesus as I travel the sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Each one of us needs to be a willing teammate. Each one of us needs to give our best for the team and to, to do what we can to, to lift each other up. You know, it may be putting ourselves down, but we need to lift our teammates up. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for my brothers and sisters that are part of the family of God. And Lord, I've got some great teammates, and I praise you for that. Because you put us on the team that you want us to be on. And so, Lord, I, I praise you that I know that, you know, I, I'm on a team here and I can move to another city and be accepted on a team there and wherever I go, that the team name never changes. And so, Father, I just give you thanks for my brothers and sisters that know me and love me just like I am. You know, I don't have to be the star. I don't have to bring anything special, just myself and the willingness to, to serve. Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that doesn't know you, and, you know, maybe this doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them. But, Lord, let them know that Jesus Christ lived for them, Jesus Christ died for them, and Jesus Christ lives again for them. That he, he died on that cross for their sins, and then three days later rose from the dead, and he says, I'm coming back, and you need to be ready, because once I get back, it's going to be too late. You need to be ready before I come back. So, Father, let him pray a prayer like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know I need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus, who died for me, took my sins to the cross, but he rose from the dead that I can live in eternity in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.